This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely, and welcome to the show. We have quite a few exciting announcements for this episode. So uh, first, we're going to kick it over to John and Bill at the brewery. They're going to share some of those announcements, and then we'll get into some others on my end. So Bill and John, take it away. Hey, Mason, what's going on? Uh, We have a couple quick updates for you guys. First thing is we kicked off our Spartan partnership last weekend. We are the North American partner of Spartan Race. You can get our beer cold at the finish line of any race in the country all year. We were in Chino, California last weekend, and we'll be in Phoenix and San Jose in the upcoming two weeks. Next up, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. on Saturday on East Coast time, we're doing a limited release of our Freeway Double Hop IPA. Uh, here, let me kick it to John for tasting notes on Freeway. So yeah, another super refreshing batch of Freeway, uh, loaded with Amarillo and Citra and Chinook hops. Just brewed. It's got a soft, light, weedy mouthfeel. It's just super refreshing. A little old school, a little new school, and should be great. Cool. Yeah. Be fast. It's only going to be about 100 or 150 cases. So that'll be 10 a.m. Eastern on our website on Saturday. And then Mason, John and I have a question for you. Uh, You told us about an upcoming adventure you've got going on in the name of charity. You care to disclose anything else? Uh, Fill us in. Oh, boy. You got to be careful about what you talk about around here because we are not afraid of crazy ideas. I'll just put it that way. So you throw something out, the next thing you're not, you know, you're organizing a whole trip. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I've always wanted to kayak from the Bahamas to Florida. And I recently found an opportunity to do it on my birthday this year, um, which I thought would have been just to be an awesome way to celebrate, you know, opening up a new decade of my life. And uh, it's through a charity that's raising money for cystic fibrosis. It's literally a father named Travis Suits who who does this every year. And he takes a group of people from the Bahamas and they kayak together or paddleboard for like 20 hours to the Miami area. So I, I'd love to do that. Um, we're going to be raising money. So if anyone out there, any athletic people want to go, we could put an athletic team together. And so an athletic brewing team, that is. And we'll have a great time. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a challenge. I'm scared to death of the open ocean. So this is going to be <laughs> a challenge in more ways than one for sure. But I would love to support this awesome cause, a dad who is literally trying to extend the life of his daughter who has cystic fibrosis through raising awareness and support. And if you would like to join, I can send you more info. But the charity itself is called Piper's Angels, and the event is called Crossing for a Cure. It'll be in June this summer, so let me know. We got until April to sign up. And speaking of adventures, another big announcement we have is we are doing an adventure grant. We are going to be giving away $1,000 to somebody who is doing a big adventure this year and making an even bigger impact in their community. So if you've got something crazy planned like crossing an ocean or you know running across the state or climbing some mountain or something, anything, and it's for a bigger cause or it's you know for a, a bigger purpose, 
purpose, please apply. The application link is in the show notes. Uh, It outlines all the details and all the necessary information. But basically, today we're opening up the application, and it's going to be open for two months, and we're going to be announcing in mid-April who the winner is. And so if you've got an adventure planned and and dry January is coming to an end and you want to keep the stoke going, but maybe your wallet isn't very big, we want to help you achieve that adventure. So go to our show notes or our website and apply for our 2020 Athletic Brewing Adventure Grant. Oh, so many announcements. We haven't even gotten into the episode yet. About today's episode, we're interviewing Kyle Robidoux. Kyle is a skier. He is a runner. He is someone that doesn't live by the boundaries of what other people think his boundaries should be. And he is a father, a husband, and he works tirelessly to ensure folks like him do not have to live a life of compromise. And he also he does that mostly through his nonprofit that he runs. He's coming at us today from Boston, and he had just put his daughter to sleep, and, and I, I apologize, the audio quality is not the best, and that's my fault. I, I didn't hear that when we first recorded, but listening back, it, it didn't capture the audio as well, but uh, you can definitely hear what he's saying, but anyway... Kyle is diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. He got that diagnosis at 11, but wasn't declared legally blind till 19. So basically his field of view closes in around him um, as he gets older. He says right now it's a lot like looking through a paper towel roll. If you just take a paper towel roll and put it over one eye and close the other, he says that's about how much he can see clearly. In 2010, he kind of turned his life around. He, he he had a daughter and was said he was over 250 pounds and he was headed down a path towards type 2 diabetes, which had family history of. And he just started moving. He started walking. Then he started running. And now he's doing ultras. He competed in Western States. He competed in the Trans Rockies Run. He's been in five, I think maybe six now, Boston Marathons and spent well over 20 years working in the nonprofit sector. So if you'd like to learn more about Kyle before we get into the episode, just Google his name, Kyle Robidoux, or go to his website, kylerobidoux.com. And he is on Instagram and Twitter, and both of those links are in the show notes. But I hope you really enjoy this episode, and this weekend, get out there and do something epic. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Kyle Robidoux. Hey, Mason, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go all the way back to the beginning of your story and hear where you grew up and and kind of what your childhood was like, if you don't mind. Sure. So I was born in Central Mass, but moved to Maine when I was eight. Uh, So Southern Maine, kind of coastal inland town and lived there all the way until I went to college and was, you know, kind of a traditional upbringing, kind of middle upper class and super active, played pretty much every sport imaginable. If there was a ball, I was playing. What was your favorite? By far, baseball. And then once I started skiing, skiing definitely took over and soccer and football as well. All right. Very cool. So, you know, folks heard in the intro, you know, you were born with retinitis pigmentosa but it took a while before that started progressing. Is that correct? When, when did you start to notice issues with that? So I was diagnosed with what we call RP at 11 and declared legally blind at 19. So I met that peripheral vision threshold for legal blindness. And I never had 
well, I always had very poor, if any, night vision or ability to see in dimly light lit areas. That always affected me. But other than that, I, I kind of got along just fine playing sports and socially and moving around. I, I did never have a driver's license. That was a choice my parents and I made. But other than that, I kind of got along with the usable vision that I had at the time until about my mid-late 20s. So did it progressively get worse or more limited as you got older? Is that just how it works? Yes. So RP is a degenerative eye disease that progresses over time. So for me, my RP works kind of from the outside in. So it affects your peripheral vision first and then kind of just closes in from there. Right now, I'm down to about a 3 to 4% field of vision, which means I just have very restricted or constricted tunnel vision. Yet, I do have corrected 20, 40, 20, 50 vision. Over time, it just seems it'll close in like that. Now, what does that mean for your future? What, what, it, what, it, what's, is it eventually going to completely close in? RP presents itself differently with everyone, but it is very, very likely that I will lose maybe not all of my vision, but probably get as low as uh, just light vision or, or the ability to, or light perception. So I have some friends who are five or six years older than me with RP that when I first started hanging out with them eight or nine years ago, they're kind of where I'm at now. And now they're down to kind of light perception or just really, really limited usable vision. But it's it's hard to put a timeline on it, So, which also makes it really hard to prepare for. Absolutely. And, and I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how, how does that make you feel? What is that? How does that, how, how do you view the future? I try to be as honest as possible and it, it scares me. You know, it scares me to think that there'll be a time where I don't have even the usable vision that I have now. Just tonight I was walking home from an evening meeting and I got totally turned around and took a couple of, and it was at night and I took a couple of steps and unbeknownst to me, I walked into the road with cars coming where I thought I was actually on a sidewalk and I was hadn't reached the road yet. So it, it's hard to plan for, but I've also learned through years of therapy and support from my family that I can really just live in the present and plan, you know, prepare for the future and just go about things uh, as best I can. Yeah, sorry, man. We're just jumping right into it, getting all deep right off the get-go. But hey, Yeah, no worries, man. I, you know, I, I mean, I just think when we talk about this stuff that's difficult in life, it's so much more applicable to people and what they're going through. And But I, I want to ask you this, too. We can come back to that in a little bit. Um, I know in 2010, you started running. Can you tell me what happened then? What happened in your life to where you just wanted to pick that up all of a sudden out of nowhere? So I was always active and I ran to kind of be in shape for sports or, but there was certainly a period of time where I was no longer active and I was well over 250 pounds and all my health indicators were off the charts. I was on the path for type two diabetes, which, you know, my father just passed away this past November, partly to my cholesterol was through the roof and my daughter at the time was two and I was 
you know, having a really hard time just playing with her and bending over to tie my shoes and just came to a point where I realized I had to do something and I didn't want to take medication for cholesterol and health reasons. So I just started walking and then running from there. And so it wasn't the, the limited sight that prevented you from playing with your daughter. It was the fact that you were out of shape. So, so why running? Is it because walking gradually progressed into faster and faster? Was it just easy to start walking? Yeah, I think it was easy to start walking. I worked right next to a park and it's a popular park to run in. And like I said, I'd always been active, but there were period, there was a period of time as my vision started to, to decrease a bit more rapidly in which I convinced myself that I could no longer run safely on my own. And I really wasn't aware of this whole beautiful network of sighted guides. So I just kind of you know, subconsciously convinced myself that I couldn't be active anymore. I all but stopped skiing. I maybe skied once or twice a season. And I wasn't really active anymore, partly because of I didn't think I could be because of my vision. Did just thinking I'm limited prevent you from maybe Googling other options or just even trying to look into other options? And do you think that is, I mean, I feel like that's what a lot of people face with all sorts of challenges? I think at that time, I was certainly depressed and pretty angry, bitter about my vision and things that I love to do, like playing recreational baseball and skiing to the best of my ability were being taken away from me. And that kind of just transferred over to a little bit of running that I had been doing. And I wasn't connected to any sort of community. Like I started working where I work now six years ago. And prior to that, I'd never met another person who was blind or visually impaired before. So I, I didn't know anything about programs and resources that I know now. You never interacted or, or knew anyone else that was visually impaired? No, except for the doctor's office. I'd sit there and be like, you know, I'd whisper to my parents, and be like, wow, I think that person's like totally blind. That must be wild, right? Um, but yeah, that's the only time I interacted with someone was in the doctor's office. I had to be incredibly lonely. I mean, it was not lonely in the sense of you know, I, I had a really, I still continue to have a really strong social network. I just, I had friends and I was active and socially, you know, I had roommates and all that, you know, sort of stuff. But I just wasn't connected to the blindness or adaptive sports community at that time. You know, growing up skiing, I certainly saw, you know, folks wearing orange bibs in, in the back of my head. I was like, wow, maybe that will be me someday. But I just also wasn't mentally ready to make that jump into adaptive skiing with a guide. And quite frankly, I didn't know that running guides existed because I hadn't really I hadn't raced before. I just ran, you know, four or five miles to stay in shape, but I had done eight races. So I didn't even know that, you know, this concept of sighted guides existed running wise. So, you know, you, you started walking around the park and then you started running. How did your, essentially your career in this progress, your running abilities progress? When, when did you see guides? When did you start saying, I'm going to enter a competition? How, how did that come about? 
I, uh, I hesitate. I don't know if I quite have a running career, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I started racing and joining, you know, I ran, start, you know, I, my first race was half marathon and then I took about a year to build up to a marathon and I had probably run four or five marathons. And almost every marathon I, you know, I, I ran all of them by myself. Although I did run the first marathon kind of with my sister-in-law formally as my guide. But then I once, you know, three or four miles in, I just kind of took off and ran on my own, which for the most part I can manage. I did, you know, figure out a way to pretty much fall every marathon. You know, I'd trip over an orange cone or I would hit someone in the water, stops. But I, I didn't know. And then when I started working at the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, it would work now. I had I started there in September and I ran a marathon Columbus Day weekend in October and the next day I came into work and my knees were all bloody and my coworker was like, Hey, how'd it go? I was like, Oh, it was great. I ran hard, but I you know, I fell like not even a half mile in and I skinned my knee up and ran the rest of the race with, you know, blood all over my knees. And he joked and said, Have you ever run with a sighted guide? And I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I know that there's ski guides, but there are people who you run with too. And he said, yeah, let me, you know, let me introduce you to some folks. So that was October. And then that December, I flew out to California for the California International Marathon. And that was the first race I ran with a sighted guide. Was it difficult to get used to? It was a little bit of a transition. I mean, it, it's it, it's an evolution for someone like me in which my vision progresses. So when I first started running with guides, I just ran side by side without a tether, so with no string attached to us. And I just told them, for the most part, I needed help seeing what was potholes, manhole covers, but I really needed just to know where the people were. So when it got really crowded in water stops, I needed them to make sure that I didn't run into folks. Because when I ran myself, I would kind of slowly merge into the water stop. But it was so crowded in a marathon that I would inevitably bump into people. And there are a couple of times where, you know, you drink your water and you go to throw the cup. And because I have no peripheral vision, you know, I was hitting people, like throwing the cups at them. And I'd be like, sorry. <laughs> in the middle in the middle of a marathon, you can't be like, oh, sorry, I have really low vision. Please excuse me, right? So guides were helpful in, you know, making sure I didn't bump into people as we passed or going into, you know, the aid stations. And if there were any pressure points where things got crowded, they were really helpful with that. And then probably a year or two later, I started running, you know, with a tether. And when I started trail running, that was a whole other evolution of running, you know, with sighted guides and so forth. And so for to paint a picture for listeners, it's you're you're literally tied to someone like with with a tether like you said to a guide who is running ahead of you and, and basically helping you navigate a course and, and on a trail helping you navigate around obstacles up and down passes and, and mountains literally and, I, and i'm sure that is a skill that you both learn to work together on and both get better at it as you work longer with a guide is that correct it is it makes running with a sighted guide makes running team sport. So we're working together, we're communicating, we are giving each other updates on kind of how I'm feeling and where my legs are. And my guides are, you know, not only incredibly committed to supporting me and others like myself, but they're also just very talented. They're talented runners, but they're also really strong communicators and they're really passionate and they take a lot of time and care 
when guiding to ensure that through sharing their site, they're supporting me to reach my goals in getting, whether it's that halfway mark of the marathon or crossing the finish line of a hundred mile race, you know, that it's a shared goal that we have together as a team. Do you have, when you go and do races, do you have to have new guides there or you, you try to travel with the same ones? It's obviously most of the time cost prohibitive to travel with guides. You know, when I ran Western States in 2019 through the support of Cliff Bar, I ran with their sponsor bib. And part of that was an agreement to fly out all of my guides from the Boston area. So that's for the most part the only race I've traveled to with my hometown guides. But in 2018, I ran the Yeti 100 down in. Uh, Damascus, uh, Virginia, and I had five guides that I never met before, four of whom had never guided at all, and one of whom had guided on the roads was a very experienced road guide, but that that was his first time guiding me on the trails, and then the other four runners, it was their first time guiding whenever. So I just have to put a lot of faith in the running community, both in terms of helping me network and recruit local guides. But then, you know, have phone conversations and swap a whole lot of emails with guys and kind of training them, you know, via email, via phone conversations. Yeah, Was it awkward running with four people, five people you really didn't know? Did you have, was it small talk for the first part of the race? Like, how does that work relationally? Yeah, I mean, you certainly chit chat. I tell folks like your main job is to guide me and call things out, but we're certainly going to talk. And to a certain extent, it benefits me, right? I, I tell a lot of folks, I'm really honest in that, you know, there is a benefit for me running with guides all the time. I have someone, particularly when you're doing ultra races, right? The, the 50 to 100 miles. And, you know, when you go into those really dark places, if you're running through the woods by yourself, you know, I always have a guide to chit chat with. And although their main responsibility is to physically guide me, they certainly help, you know, keep my spirits up, keep me moving. It's just human nature. I certainly try to limit that because I don't want them to be a pacer. I really want them to guide. Right. But the flip side of that is I sometimes get frustrated that I don't have those experiences that, you know, you hear folks often say, I love doing trail races and I love doing hundred mile races and those really lows and those highs when I'm by myself or the, you know, through the nighttime when it's just me in the woods, I actually never get that experience. And sometimes it frustrates me, but I quickly flip the channel and say, you know what, I'm just lucky to be out here. Regardless if I have to run with a guy all the time, I'm just lucky to be doing what I love to do. And there's sometimes where I will tell my guide, you know, go up, I'm going to sit here, just go up a couple hundred feet give me some space for a minute and you know maybe I want to listen to the the surroundings and my breathing or maybe I need to just uh, give myself an out loud you know pep talk to to change my my uh feelings and my mood I can imagine man yeah I mean I can't tell you how many emotional breakdowns I've had alone and I'm very glad no one I knew was around me because <laughs> they would be like okay I don't think of you the same ever again because I saw you at your lowest. You know what I mean? You don't have that ability. You have to kind of have to keep it together because you're in the, you know, other people's presence, you know? Definitely. Definitely. And I'm, you know, I try to be more and more strategic with my guides. And uh, one of my guides that I'm most comfortable with, that's run most amount of miles with me. Uh, she just recently had 
a kid. So she, we haven't run together for eight to 12 months. But prior to that, like she was a quote unquote closer, any hundred mile race or long distance race I would do, she would inevitably guide me in the last 20 to 23 miles. Partly because she's the one I not only trusted the most as a guide, but I also trusted that she would understand where I was at when I have those moments, right? If I get cranky, like everyone else, right? I mean, everyone gets cranky after 80 miles, but I also have to be polite and nice at times to my guides. Um, it's just human nature. It's respectful to do. Uh, but she was, you know, she understands if I snap or I get angry. Um, so there's a while where she was always kind of closing my races out. Um, thankfully I have, you know, a large network now of guides who I trust from mile zero to mile hundred. And, and so if you don't mind, you know, speaking of children, she had a, a child. I know that you have a daughter and if I'm, is she 10, 11 years old around there? She is 12 going on like 19. Oh, okay. 12 going on 19. Wow, man. So, you know, that, that had to be a tough decision. And I, I heard somewhere that, it, that you were sort of apprehensive about having children just because you didn't know what your future held. H- how has it been being a dad through all this? How have you enjoyed that? Oh, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's the job I love the most and sometimes I hate the most, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky that, you know, genetically I had learned that, you know, initially I didn't want to pass because it is a hereditary eye disease. I didn't want to pass it along. I just wanted to end it here. But then I learned, you know, through an genetic counselor that that wasn't necessarily the case. And thankfully, at the, you know, and I also am I'm very lucky and thankful that I am still have visible vision so I can see her and I can see her grow up and do all the things that, you know, parents love to experience. Uh, and she is also incredibly supportive, which I'm, very thankful for and it's a balancing act right i want her to you know be compassionate and mindful to support me but i also don't want her to feel like she, like she has to or the burden of helping her dad in certain situations and thankfully she has been nothing but supportive in in that sense which i'm very fortunate and grateful for and you know it's a big piece of you know my wife's support and my daughter certainly sees that play out in real time and, and picks up her cues from there as well. I mean, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sure just going through all this, you realize it's the people around you that are just the most important thing in the whole world. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, uh, she keeps me engaged and keeps me hopeful. So, so let me ask you this. If you weren't running, what do you think you would be doing? Because I know running is just a progression of walking, which you started off doing. Is there any other sport that you're, you're, really interested in trying or, or doing at this point? So I'm a, you know, avid skier. Yeah. Although yep. I haven't skied yet this season, but I, you know, I grew up actually, I started skiing essentially the winter after I was diagnosed with my eye disease intentionally. Oh, wow. Uh, because it, because my parents felt that it was a sport that I could always do, which they were right. And so, you know, I love skiing. I love being in the mountains. It's a little obviously challenging being in Boston and getting access to the mountains. You're obviously very dependent on the winter and the weather, unlike, unlike being out in Colorado where, you know, you open your eyes every morning and there's a new foot of, you know, a new couple feet of snow. Uh, so, you know, and I definitely want to get, I've never been kind of backcountry, above treeline, kind of bull skiing. So that was originally going to be a gold mine this winter, and kind of time just got behind me on that. And 
part of, to be honest with you, man, I mean, I, I grew up on bikes and BMX bikes and all that, but the notion of having a tandem bike in a really small house in the city is daunting to me and the cost of it. Mm. And one of the things I love about running is, you know, I can just put on a pair of shoes and cross my street and run on the track by myself still if I need to. And I, I just really like that about running. Uh, although I did go rock climbing this past weekend for the first time with my daughter who loves it. Oh, awesome. And it was, yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, so I would climb and, you know, she would kind of call out where the holds were, you know, left hand up or right hand or right foot. So that was really fun. But I was toast. My my arms and my core are so weak. After I think the second, you know, kind of climb, my arms were shaking. I could barely grab anything. My fingers were sore already. So it was a nice reminder that or not so subtle reminder that, you know, I can run 80 miles a week. But my upper body strength has a lot of room to improve. So amazing what all of our different capabilities are, because then you get some climber that can, you know, climb a mile, but they, they, they don't run, they don't run five, you know? So it's, it's, it's amazing what all of our strengths do. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, maybe climbing, you know, more climbing in your future, cycling, maybe, I don't know. Tandem's definitely an option, but yeah, like you said, small home and, and very busy city for sure. And the cost, that is the simplicity of running it. It, it is a beautiful thing. You know what? What part of your life? What, what parts of your life would you consider pretty normal? You know, for most people, and then what parts are surprisingly difficult? I think the word "normal" is subjective in the sense of kind of where you are in your life and yeah. what what is happening. And for me, you know, I'm just like all of my peers, right? I go to work, I work a nine to five, or an eight to four, eight to five job, and I'm really committed to the work that I do. And I'm also, both my wife and I are super active in our own community, which I think is a normal aspect for our household to be really engaged in the community and to give back as much as we get and to help, you know, shape the future of our small knit little neighborhood. And, you know, I think running four or five days a week, maybe the mileage is higher than everyone else is running, but just the pure joy of getting outside and experiencing the kind of outdoors in the way in which I do is normal in the things that we all enjoy about it. Certainly it's a little bit different in that I have to adapt and have a sighted guide. So, and, you know, in the parenting work that I do is, you know, run around manic on the weekends with, you know, two or three sports at the time and, you know, trying to be a present and active parent while balancing, you know, the running that I do and, you know, the stuff I need to do at home work and that, and that sort of stuff. Is there anything that's surprisingly challenging that, that maybe people wouldn't think about? I think the flip side of all that is just balancing it all, right? I mean, if I'm running at peak training, working full-time, being a dad, being on a couple nonprofit boards, you know, if I hit 80 miles a week, that's my peak. So that's probably 20 to 25 hours of running. So just balancing that, you know, I'm very lucky and sometimes I take it for granted uh, which isn't always a good thing, but you know, every Saturday and Sunday morning, I'm out the door at seven thirty ish, and I'll run for five or six hours. You know, so I try to get in, you know, seven to twelve hours of running on the weekend, and then fitting in time on the weekdays. You know, I'm try to get to work by seven thirty, so I can leave at like four. But then, you know, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, I got to get my daughter at seven o'clock at night at 
soccer practice. I got to go pick her up and walk her home. Thankfully, it's a mile from her house, but you know, I I, I would otherwise be running during that time. So it's, I think it's just a balancing act and trying to fit all of it in while also keeping somewhat of a social life as well. Right. So, so what do you think the biggest, what is the biggest misconception that you come across the most often when, when you encounter people and talk about living with retinitis pigmentosa? The biggest misperception and the hardest component of it. And I think Helen Keller said this beautifully also years and years ago is it's actually the people who I interact with, right? So it's, those preconceived notions and those stereotypes that folks have around people who are blind or visually impaired or people who are unlike us in any way, right? That could be politically or physically or mentally or mental health wise. And I think one of the things that I try to use my running and my endurance sports and the brands I partner with like athletic brewing are to use that as a vehicle and a platform to change those perceptions and to really push back on those stereotypes. And by being active, being out on the trails and skiing and running, I want to, you know, sometimes not so subtly, you know, change those perceptions and, and, and do that through running. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are, do you think there's any advantages that RP has given you? Definitely. I mean, I'm a much more aware and compassionate person, even though some folks would laugh to hear me say that I'm compassionate, (laughs) but it just makes me, it just makes me a lot more understandable, right? I mean, I worked for my first 10 or 12 years professionally. I worked helping folks who were living without a home, whether staying in shelters or on the streets. And I would never have done that work if I didn't start to realize that there are people out there in the world that need some support. And I would never have realized that if I didn't start to think about and internalize the support that I would need at any given time, whether it's 20 to 50, you know, 20 to 25 years down the road, or when I was 15 trying to deal with not being able to drive and have a license. So I think it's definitely informed my professional choices and my political worldview as well. Man, that's inspiring. That's really awesome. It's like, and, and you giving back like this, you know, it's, you're going to reap what you sow, man. And I'm sure you already see that. You say you have a really wonderful social life and just a, you know, blessed life. It's, you know, you, you, you use what you're going through to, to be able to see what's going on around you and, and how you can help not just yourself, but the people around you going through something similar or something at least parallel. And that's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear. Thanks. Yeah. So, so for the first rapid fire question, what are you most curious about right now outside of running? I've been thinking a lot about the whole sober curious movement, which I've learned through athletic brewing and the recent event that I attended there. So that's got me intrigued a little bit. Oh, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's growing rapidly. There's going to, there's a lot of great options out there, but, uh, what is your proudest achievement outside of running? Being a parent. All, all the parents say that. All right. So next one, what is, what is your biggest goal that you haven't yet achieved? I would like to get out in the backcountry and self-powered hike up, skin up some big, huge mountain and drop in off it on a pair of skis. Awesome. What is a quick piece of advice that you give someone who f- is facing something where they feel that they're limited now in what they can do? Sit in the space that you're in embrace it, 
and then adapt and continue to move forward. And how do you personally live without compromise? I don't accept the boundaries that others place on me. I continue to push through and around those boundaries. Well, Kyle, is there anything else you'd like to share or any links that that people can follow you, follow your journey? Sure. So folks can follow me on Instagram. I'm at blindbeerrunner. And Twitter is just Kyle, middle initial R, and Robidoux. And then I do more and more public speaking. Some folks call it motivational speaking. And my website is just kylerobidoux.com. Perfect. And every one of those will be in the show notes. So if you are driving or at work and you just pull out your phone, look at the show notes and it'll be there for you to click on. So, well, thanks for doing what you're doing with athletic and uh, hopefully we can meet up in person at some point. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Have a great night and thanks again. Bye. All right. Bye. Without Compromise is a production of Athletic Brewing Company. To learn more about our award-winning non-alcoholic craft beer, go to athleticbrewing.com. There you can also find info on our news and events, as well as how to get plugged in to the larger athletic brewing community. And lastly, we wanted to thank you so much for listening. Please share with us with someone you know, as well as leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And we'll see you in a couple weeks.